0: Okay, so we're in, obviously, Romans 13 still. And the last time that I was in the pulpit, we looked at Romans 13, verses 8 through 10. Remember, we learned that love or loving our neighbors as ourselves is the fulfilling of the law. For the sake of time, I'm not going to review that sermon. It's on Sermon Audio and on the Abiding Grace Church website. Uh, It's currently posted if you want to listen to it. Right now, I'd like us to move on to verse 11. Let me know if I'm talking too loud because of the air conditioner. Now, just to grab the context of our text here one more time, okay? The Apostle Paul in verse 10, this is Romans 13, in verse 10 says that love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. And then in verse 11, Paul says, besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to awake from sleep. You know the time. Why, Paul? Why has the time come? Why has the hour come for us to awake from sleep? Answer. Because salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. With each passing day, church, our Lord's second coming is one day closer than it was the day before. And as such... Some of us need to awake from our slumber, our spiritual apathy, lethargy, inaction. We need to awake to the things of God and present our bodies as what? Living sacrifices unto God, holy and acceptable to God, which is our spiritual service. Remember that? That was Romans Twelve, And that's still a part of our Romans 13 text. Remember, there were no chapters, chapter numbers, or verse numbers in the original writings. Why is this our mission, or to be our mission, presenting ourselves to God in this way? Well, Paul answers that too. He says, because it is... And I'm going to use a word here, acceptable time. It is the acceptable time or the acceptable day. And the question is, are you ready? And we'll talk more about readiness later. But in our text, the Apostle Paul is summoning us in verse 11 to moral action In view of the time. Paul says, in the ESV, he says, you know the time. He says, the hour has come for you to awake from your sleep because you know the time. Some translations will say, the favorable time. The New King James Version says, knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. Let me say that again. The New King James Version says, knowing the time that now is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Surely we have all heard this expression, it's high time. It's high time I get to the gym and get back into shape uh man it's high time that you ask that girl to marry you you've only been dating her for fourteen years. Put a ring on it will you it's high time in our text romans thirteen eleven the apostle paul this is very important has isaiah forty nine verse 8 in mind. It's what he's quoting. In fact, almost verbatim, he's quoting it. Paul also quotes Isaiah 49, verse 8 in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2. So if you're taking notes, you want to write those two passages down. Isaiah 49, 8 and 2 Corinthians 6, 2. Now, the Apostle Paul, as he quotes Isaiah, and as he writes 2 Corinthians 6-2, he says, now this is the, you're going to see why I'm jumping around with translations. This is the New American Standard. He says, quote, And working together with him, that is with Christ, we also urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain for he says that is for God says quote at the acceptable time I listened to you and on the day of salvation I helped you there he's quoting Isaiah 49 8 in 2nd Corinthians 6 2 this is the same acceptable time in that context that that Paul's referring to in Romans 13:11 our text. So he says, and working together with Christ, we also urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain. How are we going to receive the grace of God in vain, Paul? For he says, at the acceptable time I listened to you, and on the day of salvation I helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. You're going to hope in Christ in vain if you don't understand that now is the time for salvation. And I hope and pray that you're picking up when I'm laying down here. It'll become more and more clear as I go along. So now's the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. And that's why we chose, I chose, acceptable time as the title of the message. As I said before, other translations say the time, other translations say the favorable time. Why am I pointing this acceptable time out? And why am I using the word acceptable? Because the acceptable time or the acceptable day, they're both used in Scripture, is the way It was written, that word acceptable was used, it's the way it was written and quoted in numerous and very key Christian writings for centuries. So if you pick up an old book, say a Puritan book, or a Christian book from a hundred years ago, you won't see the favorable time. You'll see the acceptable time. And you won't see high time you'll see the acceptable day or the acceptable time. We see this, as I said, in older English Bible translations also. Not just commentaries and books, but Bible translations. For example, follow me on this. The acceptable time, that phrase, is used in Isaiah 49.8 as well as, I said a moment ago, 2 Corinthians six two, And it's used like that, the acceptable time. It's used like that in those two passages. Now, follow along with me here. In the King James Version, in the New King James Version, in the New American Standard Bible, both 1977 and 1995, it's used in the American Standard Version, which at one time was... The go to English translation before the NIV ever even came out. The acceptable time is also used in the Berean literal translation, Holman translation, Douay Rheims Catholic translation, Amplified New Revised Standard Version, World English, and then Young's literal translation. And I could go on and on. There's more. You get the picture. They all use this phrase, acceptable time, either in quoting Isaiah 49.8 or in quoting Isaiah 49.8 in 2 Corinthians 6.2. And I know you're thinking at this point, what are you talking about, Mike? Give me a minute, okay? Give me a minute. What I want you to see is that this acceptable time that Paul tells us about in 2 Corinthians 6, verses 1 and 2, most important part of the sermon, is the day of salvation. Acceptable time is synonymous with the day of salvation. Okay? Acceptable day is synonymous with the day of salvation. This is because... In this Isaiah prophecy, the Lord promises to bring salvation to His people. This Isaiah 49.8 prophecy. Now, in Isaiah 49.8, we read this. Thus says the Lord. It's important. This is God talking here. Okay? Thus says the Lord, in an acceptable time, I heard you, and in the day of salvation, I helped you. I give you as a covenant to the Gentiles to establish the earth and to inherit the inheritance of the desert. In this Isaiah passage, particularly verses 8 through 13, if you're there, you can look at them, verses 8 through 13 of Isaiah 49 God the Father is speaking to God the Son. Pastor Steve talked about this very thing when we were going through Hebrews two weeks ago. God the Father speaking to God the Son, or of God the Son also. Now with that said, your Bible, talking Isaiah 49, your Bible should have all the personal pronouns in this Isaiah passage capitalized in these verses, thereby indicating the deity of Jesus Christ. You with me? Now, we can't get into an in-depth study of Isaiah this morning, but I do want you to see the dialogue here in Isaiah 49, between God the Father and God the Son. Read it on your own time, and you will see. It's beautiful. The context in Isaiah, as I said a minute ago, is salvation for both Jews and Gentiles. In short, salvation for the new Israel. And who's the new Israel? The church. We talk about it all the time here at Abiding Grace Church. I was just going to ask Zach to do that because I see Jen. Yeah, I don't you want to. Asked me to turn it on. It wasn't me. I did. I did. I was trying to shut it off. I just didn't. It's bite. I think I got it. I'm sorry. So now in 2 Corinthians 6. Paul quotes this Isaiah 49 to make certain that his readers understand that the acceptable time to bring this salvation to fruition is now. That's the most important part, that now, right now, is the day of salvation. And he also tells his readers in our text, Romans 13, 11, the very same thing. He says, Besides this, you know the time, exclamation point. Besides what, Paul? Besides the previous verses. Look at verses 9 and 10 in our text, Romans 13, okay? You should love your neighbor as yourself. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. And besides this, you know the time. The time that Paul says the Roman Christians know or should know is the acceptable time. What's the acceptable time? The day of salvation. Salvation is at hand. That's what Paul is saying. Now, in the latter part, if you, if you want to follow along, you could flip over to 2 Corinthians 6. In the latter part of 2 Corinthians 6 verse 2, Paul comes right out in the New King James Version and says, Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. The reason why I'm pointing that out is the NKJV is the only translation in English that we have in our postmodern age that uses the word acceptable, like the same word that is used in 49, Isaiah forty-nine eight okay, so they actually use it, and the KJV uses it also, but regardless, I wanted to point that out, okay, so we see Scripture, I hope you see Scripture interpret Scripture, you see the acceptable time in Isaiah 49, and you see the acceptable time in 2 Corinthians 6-2, and if you have a real nifty Bible, you'll see the acceptable time in Romans uh, 11, I'm sorry, 13 11, in the notes, okay, now, Scripture interprets Scripture. In other words, there's no better time. There's no better time for salvation than right now. The day is drawing near. Where do we we read that? Hebrews 10, 25. The day is drawing near. The darkness is passing away, and the true light is already shining. 1 John 2, 8. And blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written therein, for the time is near. Revelation chapter 1, verse 3. I just read it. The time is near. I want you to see the consistency of the time being the day of salvation throughout the entire New Testament, which is why I quoted Hebrews 10, 1 John 2, and Revelation 1, along with 2 Corinthians 2.6. Okay. So just like in Isaiah, and just like in 2 Corinthians chapters 5, the whole chapter, and chapter 6, and just like here in our text of Romans 13, we read, besides this you know the time, that the hour has come for you to awake from your sleep. Why? You should know by now. I've said it 500 times. Salvation is near. Salvation is at hand. Now, I told you we, we would come back to the moral aspect of this, if you look at verses 13 and 14 of our text, Romans 13, Romans 13, verses 13 and 14, okay, Paul says, Let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies, in drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality not in quarreling and jealousy but put on the lord jesus christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires now the scriptures also say be on the alert mark 13:37 become Sober-minded, as you ought, and what? Stop sinning. Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Ephesians 5.14 Let us not sleep, as others do, but let us be alert and sober. First Thessalonians 5.6 One more time, folks. This is very important we don't want to make provision for the flesh we don't want to gratify the desires of our flesh and the way to refrain from doing that is to be on the alert to be sober as in the day sober minded, we're not talking about alcohol here, we're talking about being sober minded and Paul comes right out and says stop sinning can't get much more clear than that Mm -hmm stop sinning, awake sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you, Ephesians 5.14. Be alert, 1 Thessalonians 5.6. Five, Thessalonians five, Paul is talking to Christians here. And don't forget, wherever there's a group of Christians... Most of the time, folks, you will find among them those who are Christians in name only and who have yet to truly commit their lives to Christ in a saving fashion. And so preach the gospel always and everywhere, I say. Preach the gospel always and everywhere, even in a room full of Christians, because there are Christians amongst Christians who aren't Christians but who confess that they're Christians, but don't live their lives like Christians. So the gospel's got to go forth. It's the, why? It's the power of God, power of God, unto salvation to everyone who believes, Romans 1.16. Apologetics has its place, but it's not the power of God unto salvation. Discussing the scriptures and where they agree and disagree with doctrine that's already been established is good to do and it's good to know but it's not the power of God unto salvation. Are you with me? Only the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. This is why the eternal Christ manifested himself in human stinking flesh. He says, so himself. If you look at Luke 4, beginning in verse 15, says, he began teaching in their synagogues and was praised by all, that's Jesus, and he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up and as was his custom. He's done this before. Jesus has done this before. As was his custom, he entered the synagogue On the Sabbath, and stood up to read. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And he opened the book and found the place where it was written The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And then he closed the book and he gave it to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture Isaiah 61, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now Jesus had read, as I said, Isaiah 61, and what he was saying to them was that he was the fulfillment of this prophecy. As I read that, I I hope you picked up on the fact that Isaiah does not say acceptable time or day there, but he says acceptable year. There's a difference. The acceptable year of the Lord. It is an acceptable time, indeed, and it's an allusion, though, to the year of Jubilee in Leviticus 25, where um, that entire Motif is discussed. The year of Jubilee, if you don't know, was supposed to be a year of liberation. Every 50 years in Israel, it was a a year of liberation to celebrate Israel's release from Babylonian captivity. In order to observe the year of Jubilee... The people had to be released from their debts that they owed. Slaves had to be released and given back their freedom. Property had to be returned to families and loved ones. You with me? Okay. You get the picture. We can't get into it any more deeply than that for the sake of time. But... um, The main thing that I want you to see this morning is that Jesus applied this to himself and to what he would do in his ministry. Everything that the year of Jubilee was supposed to do, but didn't do because they never got around to it. Okay. Jesus says, I'm going to liberate the captives from sin. And Jesus says, I'm going to liberate the oppressed from slavery the slavery of sin and guilt that goes along with it. And he preached to those who were blind, and they recovered their sight, both literally and metaphorically. He freed them from the obligations they had to those who oppressed them, etc., etc., etc. Most of all, by reading Isaiah 61, as the inauguration text for his entire ministry He was not only announcing himself as the great liberator of the oppressed, the downtrodden and the disenfranchised, but he was also ushering in a complete liberation from sin and the separation from God for all eternity that we all would come to experience with his sacrificial death for our sins. This cannot be overstated by any stretch of the imagination. Jesus made a proclamation. It was a perpetual jubilee. He proclaimed the good news. That is good news. It's great news. And as such, the acceptable year of the Lord is here. And that should excite you. Why? because he's given you and me a commission, a commission to go into all the world and spread this great news. If you truly understand the gospel, if you truly understand what Christ did for you on Calvary's cross, folks, then you're going to want to tell everybody. You should want to tell them that they can be free from sin that God won't hold their sins against them anymore. John 8, 32, John 8, 32, 34 through 36. You should want to tell them that in Christ and through faith in Christ, they can approach God with freedom from sin and with confidence. Ephesians 3, verse 12. You should want to tell them that everyone who believes that Jesus died for their sins will be set free from sin at no cost to them because Jesus paid the price already. Acts 13, 38 through 39 and 39, I should say. Folks, it feels good, doesn't it? When someone else uh, pays the price for you and you don't have to Pay it. Do you, do you remember me telling you um, probably, I don't know, two months ago that I had lunch with a friend of mine who who um, was a chaplain with me at Pitt and who's a Catholic priest. And um, we ate at, we ate lunch at Pasta 2. Not exactly an inexpensive lunch. And when we asked for The check. We asked the waitress for our check. She said to us that someone anonymously paid uh, for our meals. The two of us. Now, my friend didn't have his clergy collar on, and I certainly didn't have my clergy collar on. Um, (laughs) But someone obviously saw us pray before we ate because we we did pray before we ate and. Uh, Someone may have overheard us, because tables or booths are close together, they might have overheard us talking about Christian things, because we talked about Christian things the entire time. And nonetheless, somebody paid our bill, and that felt really good, especially since I got the fried shrimp, and it was like $11, okay? (laughs) So it was up there. Um, But that felt good, and it, it not only felt good because... We didn't have to pay it, but it felt good knowing that there are still people left in this screwed up world who would do such a thing, okay? Now imagine that every single restaurant you go to from this day forward until the end of your days, imagine not having to pay the bill because someone else picked up the tab for every meal that you're ever going to eat from now going forward. That would be pretty great, right? Well, that's more in tune with what Christ has done for us. He has paid it all from this point forward, from the the point that you confessed him as Lord and believed in your heart that he died for your sins. He paid it all forever. It costs you nothing, and it's better than fried shrimp. So the first thing that I did when I got home that afternoon, um, I told Amy. Somebody paid for our meal, you know. I was excited to tell her because this sort of thing, like I said, doesn't happen that much every day uh, these days. And um, you have to correlate that with what we're talking about here this morning. At least that's what I'm trying to do and that, you know, we've been told— in Scripture, that what Christ did for us through our death, burial, and resurrection has paid for our sins, yet many of us could care less to tell anyone. You know, I wanted to tell Amy and share that with her because it was, it was cool. <laughs> but we've been saved from eternal damnation. We've been saved from being separated from God for eternity. We've been saved from not only the sin in our lives, but the guilt that goes along with what we did before we were saved, the things that we did before we were saved, okay? And many of us could care less to tell anybody. We just don't care. That doesn't make any sense. It really doesn't. As we would say back in the 70s, that don't jive, man. Just don't jive. We should want to tell everybody about our salvation, our great salvation. Go and tell them that they have been, that you have been set free from sin, that it no longer has mastery over you, okay? That you're no longer a slave to it. Because Christ, on that cross, took on all of your sin, past, present, and future, and paid it all off. Satisfied the check, paid the check to the Father. Last summer, I can't believe it's been a year, almost a year already. I was looking for a, um, a bricklayer to do some work on my house. He a bunch of brick replaced, and a friend of mine recommended a guy. I know a guy. You know a guy? I know a guy. Um, So the guy comes to my house to start the job, and we got talking. And then in the conversation, he began to uh, tell me about how much of a sinner he had been for much of his life. We were about the same age, him and I. And he said one simple sentence to me that I've heard before many times, and yet I continued music to my ears. Um, he said that a, that a friend of his, a mutual friend of ours, okay, he was telling this guy about all that he had done bad in his life. And this guy said to him this one sentence, you don't have to carry that with you anymore. You don't have to carry that around with you anymore. And obviously what he meant by that, I knew what he meant. This guy told him, all those bad things that bother you that you did in your life, you don't have to carry the guilt around anymore. You don't have to Keep apologizing for those things because Christ has forgiven you of those things. He died so that you could be forgiven, I should say, of those things. And he got, the guy got saved with that one sentence that, that was said by our mutual friend. You don't have to carry this around with you anymore, okay? Okay? He went on to tell me in our conversation how free he feels now that he's turned all that stuff over to Christ, knowing and having full confidence that he's been forgiven for those things. Folks, that's the good news. That's the acceptable time. That's the day of salvation right there. If that friend of his never uttered that one simple sentence, that would probably mean that this guy would still be wallowing in his guilt and his sin. Isn't that something that we want to tell people? That they could be free from those things? Don't we want to tell them what Christ did for them? I think we should want to tell everybody. And this is why Paul, in our text, says... He says, it's already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. For now salvation is nearer to us than when we first believed. And he goes on in verse 12 and he says, the night is almost gone and the day is near. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. In verse 13, I know I read this in the beginning. I'm reading it again. Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. Now, you may be listening to this sermon this morning, and you may be thinking, well, you know, I'm golden because I don't participate in sexual promiscuity and I don't get drunk. So I'm golden, and that's great if that's you. But what about what about passing judgment uh, on your brothers or on weaker brethren for their opinions? Um, Paul talks about that in the next section of our text. If you look at Romans chapter fourteen, verses one and two, um, he talks about passing judgment on our brother or a sister. Um, Those of you who are seasoned saints, you've been around Christianity for a while, um, I'm certain that you have met uh, on various occasions these weaker brothers and sisters in the Lord, that's what the scripture calls them, that seem to have an opinion about everything Christian. These are typically new, brand new Christians, and they have an opinion about everything they think that they know what everybody should wear to church on sunday and they're too eager to tell everybody why they think that they know which bible translation everybody should be using in the church they know which kind of outreaches and short-term missions trips that everybody should be going on and they'll let you know that too and i mean they have visitors they they have opinions about the visitors' parking places in the parking lot. They want to tell you what kind of rock salt you should put down on, on the steps and, and the sidewalk of the church. And they have an opinion about everything. They know what books that you should be reading. Okay? Have you ever met people like this? The Apostle Paul says that we shouldn't be so quick to judge these people. We were once new Christians. We were once, I'm sure, I know I was, and still am to a great degree, obnoxious. Okay? We all were obnoxious at some point. And I guarantee you, although you may not think that you were opinionated at some time in your Christian walk, you probably were. If I surveyed, you know, five or ten people who knew you back then, they would probably concur that there were times that you were obnoxious about your new, brand new Christianity as a baby Christian. I say that to say this. We need to lighten up a little bit concerning, especially if we're seasoned saints, concerning some of the younger uh, saints in the Lord. Like Paul says in verse 5 of Romans 14, he says, One person regards one day above another, Another regards every day alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. Then in verse 10 of that same chapter, he says, uh, But you, why do you judge your brother? Or you, again, why why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we all will stand before the judgment seat of God. So then, each one of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. Let us be a church, folks, that has its priorities straight. Like Paul admonishes us in Romans fourteen nineteen. if you look at verse 19, let's pursue the things which make peace, peace, for the building up of each other, of one another, Let's do the things that, that don't give offense, verse 20. Let's not do that which makes a weaker brother stumble. I hear so many uh, so-called Christians running around shooting their mouths off about some pet, pet subject that they want to convince everyone of, as, you know, the best or, or the, the most biblical. And they waste an enormous amount of time, frankly, and they, they, they tick people off, a lot of people off, just trying to shove their particular rendition of something down everyone's throats. Instead, they should be exercising self-denial. I know I need to do this. Exercise more self-denial on behalf of others. They may not understand Romans chapter 15, verses 1 and 2 where Paul says, Now we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not just please ourselves. Each of us is to please his neighbor for his good to his edification. Let's think about our neighbors. Let's think about the other Christians around us, especially the newer ones in the Lord. And let's do what we can to edify them and not bring them down. There's a reason why Paul writes this vice list in this section where he's not speaking to Corinthians, by the way. He's speaking to Roman Christians. And there's a reason why he tells them to awake out of their sleep and cast off any works of darkness There's a reason why he admonishes them to put on the armor of light and then to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. The reason is because now is the acceptable time of salvation. (laughs) Now is the acceptable time of salvation. Their salvation is nearer now, he says, than when they first believed, and so is yours and mine. Now you may be thinking, don't you love when I try to tell you what you're thinking? (laughs) Talk about audacity, okay? Now, you may be thinking, if Paul is speaking to Christians here, and he's telling them that their salvation is nearer than it was yesterday, then why is he telling them to avoid all these vices or all these sins? Is, is, is Paul suggesting that these Christians he's writing to might not be saved? Or is he suggesting that they're saved by works? No. He's not saying that at all. Paul is saying that the saving faith you claim as a Christian is evidenced as genuine saving faith by the fruits you produce. And as Christians, we always need to be reminded to put off these works of darkness and put on the armor of light that Paul talks about in verse 12 so that we can produce fruit. We are to be about the business of putting into practice everything Paul listed in Romans 12 verse 1 through Romans 13 verse 10 and we should do so in light of our impending salvation, which is looming over our heads and is imminent. Whether you die first or Christ returns first, either should motivate you to produce good fruit that is in keeping with the profession of your faith. Can I get a amen? Amen. We should also have a sense of urgency in working out our salvation with fear and trembling because now is the acceptable time, the acceptable day. People ask me all the time, how do I know if I'm really saved? And my answer is the same every time. Do you produce any fruit? Do you want assurance? of your salvation do you want to know that you're saved produce fruit in keeping with your profession of faith and you'll have more than enough assurance of your salvation put off the deeds of darkness put on the armor of light and you'll have assurance of your salvation in Titus chapter 1 verse 16 Paul says they profess to know God but by their deeds and works they deny him being detestable and disobedient and worthless for any good deed. Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, verse 46, Why do you call me Lord and you don't do what I say? They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me, Matthew fifteen-eight. Jesus said to the scribes and the Pharisees, You're like whitewashed tombs which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Matthew 23, 27, and 28. And so what is the remedy for the professing Christian who is really far from living like an actual Christian? The remedy is to realize that now is the acceptable time of your salvation. Now is the acceptable day of your salvation. So repent of your Christian apathy and lethargy, if that's you. Get in the Word. Get in prayer. Get in Christian fellowship with other Christians, obviously. Do it regularly. Make it habitual and produce fruit. That is in keeping with your profession of faith. The faith is what saves you, not the fruit, but the fruit is evidence of the authentic faith. Let's pray.